You are listening to our Southside Baptist Church podcast. For more audio content, please refer to our website. This is baptistchurch.com. And all God's people said, well, amen. Amen. Am I on? Children will begin to make their way. And I want you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Amos. Amos chapter 3, over there in the Old Testament. You get over there around the minor prophets, there around Joel and Obadiah. You'll come to Amos chapter 3, and we'll be looking at verse 7 and 8. Amos chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. And I want to uh, thank the praise team. I appreciate everything they do. And I tell you, some of those songs, even that last one, the lyrics are just so powerful of all the billions of failures, sins, and shortcomings that Jesus Christ has covered by His blood. I've titled this series, The Perfect Storm. Um, I don't know how many of you have ever seen the movie. I know it has uh, GD in it, God's Name in Vain. And so the only time that I've seen it, I believe, is in a cut version on TV But uh, George Clooney made a movie called The Perfect Storm, which deals with a group of men. I think there were six men. They were on a a sword fishing vessel called the Andrea Gale. And these men were ultimately lost at sea and were never found. And many people in meteorology said that what they encountered was was the the perfect storm. I really believe that right now in America and even in the world, we are finding ourselves in what Satan may be creating, what I would call the perfect storm. I think these are unusual times. I know in my 66 years of life, I've never been in a time like we are right now. I've never believed that I could see the second coming of Christ any clearer than I believe it right now. So, you know, these are, these are unbelievable times. But in Amos chapter 3, beginning at verse 7, how many of you there say amen? Wow. Let's get a little bit better than that. How many of you there say amen? amen? Surely the sovereign Lord does nothing without revealing His plan to His servants the prophets. And that, I tell you what, we're just going to stop there, okay? In fact, let's go back and read verse 6 rather than verse 8. When a trumpet sounds in a city, do not the people tremble. When disaster comes to a city, has not the Lord caused it? Surely the sovereign Lord does nothing without revealing his plan to his servants, the prophets. Let's pray again. Lord, we thank you. We love you. Lord, I ask you to cleanse me and forgive me. Lord, let me be a tool in your hand. And for everything, may you receive the glory and honor. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. You and I have to understand, and Paul made it clear in in Ephesians, you and I have an enemy, a spiritual enemy, Lucifer, Satan, Diabolos, the devil. And the objective of your spiritual enemy and my spiritual enemy... I believe a lot of times it's to create what I would call a perfect storm. Let me give you an example of that. Uh, A classic example in the Old Testament is Job. 
You remember in the book of Job, Satan is basically trying to get Job to deny his faith, to walk away from his faith, to turn against God. And so what Satan believed that he could do was he would create a perfect storm in the life of Job. You remember messenger after messenger, oxen have been killed, camels have been killed, horses have been killed, servants have been killed, and then finally the news came through a violent storm, his ten children had been killed. Finally, if you remember, then Satan in this battle between him and God, finally he comes to the point that he's losing his health. Satan has got Job sitting out there with a piece of broken pottery, scraping his sores, his boils, which is covered from head to toe. And in that moment, his wife says, why don't you curse God and die? In other words, what Satan believed, if he could put Job in a perfect storm, allow enough catastrophes to take place around him, that it would overwhelm him, and in essence, he would turn away from his faith. Job did not. In fact, I love what John Phillips said. He said, Satan was silenced by the life and the testimony of Job, I mean, of, of Job, so that we never hear the voice of Satan in the Old Testament again until Matthew chapter 4 when he tempts Christ. But you and I are living in very, very difficult times. I wrote this down, we, the church, the follower of Jesus Christ, may be in a perfect or in for a perfect storm this next year. In other words, we may face in the future an environment that is growing even more hostile to the faith and in a way that we've never been a part of before. Let me tell you, we are living in a day where there is an unbelievable hostility toward the church toward the faith, and toward the Word of God. Now the question then becomes, how do we live? How do you raise children in these times when issues are polarizing not only this country, but they're polarizing the world? How do we understand those issues? What are we to think about COVID, vaccines, vaccine mandates, some of these issues that we face right now, critical theory, critical race theory, 1619 Project. What are we to think about cultural Marxism as it seems to be gaining strength in America today? How are you and I to live, and more so, how are we to raise our families, our children, in this kind of environment? Uh, let me tell you this, and let me make this clear, and I want people who are live streaming to listen. I don't watch the news. This is not what I picked up on, on Fox. This is not what I've fed on in CNN. I don't watch the liberal media today. I don't watch media. I don't watch media news because I no longer can trust the news. In fact, I'll say this, that the news and the media is polarizing this nation farther. And the American is so lazy now and so apathetic and indifferent, they'll be spoon-fed whatever they want to feed on. And so the reality is, is this is not coming from any bias that I've picked up in the media or through news agencies. I don't watch none of them. Now, there's two things, two points this morning. We're just going to scratch the surface. Number one, I believe that the prophetic role of the pastor 
in these days is that, well, is that of speaking for God. In other words, when I stand up here, to a degree, I'm kind of God's spokesman. You trust me. You trust me to have prepared, to have gotten ready, and basically to give you an expounding of the Word of God. And in essence, I stand in a way representing God to you right now. Now let me tell you, if, if you don't trust my leadership, then you need to fire me. But I believe that today, what is needed in the pulpit is pastors who will be more prophetic. Secondly, the second point will be the danger of playing God. Did you hear that? The danger of playing God. Now, first of all, speaking for God, the prophetic role of the pastor. Let's look again at Amos chapter 3. Look at verse 6. When a trumpet sounds in a city, do not the people tremble. Real quickly, the city would have a watchman. We'll talk about that in a moment. Ezekiel, you remember? God called Ezekiel to be a watchman on the wall. Now, the watchman, let's say the walls of Jerusalem, a watchman, watchman would be stationed. If they saw the enemy coming, the watchman would sound the trumpet. He would sound the alarm to alert the city. So Amos says here, he said, when a trumpet sounds in a city, do not the people tremble, meaning that when the watchman saw the enemy and sounded the trumpet, that immediately people began to be nervous. They began to tremble, and naturally they would be. When a disaster comes to the city, has not the Lord caused it? Basically, what is this? God is sovereign. God is in control. Never think this world, never think this nation, never think that anything is outside the control and the direction of God. You may say, well, what about man's free will? God takes that into consideration while at the same time being sovereign. And if you can figure that out, you'll figure out a theological problem that nobody has been able to solve. So speaking for God, this prophetic role. Now look at verse 7. Surely the sovereign Lord does nothing without revealing His plans to His servants, the prophets. A while back, a while back I had a dream. Now let me tell you, I'm not I'm Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, he had a dream and I wish to God he, had, he was still like my dad. He and my dad were born the same year, 1929. I wish Martin Luther King Jr. were alive today. Because believe you me, he could have navigated civil rights far better than what we've seen. But the reality is, is that um, I had a dream. And I don't normally put a lot of stock in dreams, but I do know this, that Joel, when, it was, when Peter quoted Joel in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost... He went on to talk about, he said, you know, your young men will see visions and your old men will see dreams. So I don't mind being an old man and I don't mind having a dream. On this particular night, I'd gone to bed. Now, I don't sleep like I used to. And I don't think righteous, godly men and women do much anymore. But anyway, I was, I'd gone to sleep and in this dream, I was in a room and this room had a bed. And this bed had what looked like a wedding veil over a four-post bed so that nothing under that bed, in that bed, nothing going on I could see. And all of a sudden, I said out loud, I said, I know what you're doing under there. I know what you're doing, and I'm going to tell the people. 
And about that time, from the right side of that bed, uh, the veil was thrown back, and there was a demonic, demonic serpent, dragon-like figure that came out and came running toward me. And I remember running, not running away, I ran toward him. And as we collided, I woke up and I hollered out loud. Sheila, at that moment, looked at me and said, are you okay? Are you all right? Now, I wouldn't think anything about that dream, but I've had two people that have come and had the same dream. And I had one individual come who visited this church, who's not even a member, who said, my grandmother needed for me to come to this church, and I shared that on a Wednesday night. She came up to me and said, my grandmother had this same dream. It's strange that I'm here tonight. Debbie Lott said, Brother Jeff came up. Debbie, when I shared it on Wednesday night, looked shocked, visibly upset, turned and looked at David, and I began to see her whispering, and I knew what had happened. Afterwards, she sent word through Sheila because I was counseling. She said, Sheila, I had the same dream. Old Testament prophets, such as Amos, often would stand at the brink of world events, and especially when those events affected God's people, God's children. And in essence, the prophet, who would be standing kind of at the precipice at major historical events, God would give that prophet some insight and some sense of warning people as to what was to come. Isaiah warned the nation of Israel about the Assyrians. Jeremiah Ezekiel warned the Israelites about the Babylonians. The Bible has warnings all the way through it, so I don't think God would not do that any longer. I said a moment ago, Ezekiel, the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel saw himself as a watchman on the wall. When Israel was being threatened, Ezekiel, God said, Ezekiel, I want you to give the alarm. I want you to sound the alarm. And Ezekiel said, well, what if I don't? God said, well, then the blood of this city, these people will be on your hands. So let me tell you something. I'm not just a pastor any longer. I believe there's a prophetic role to pastoring today in America because I believe there's a threat from within and from without. And let me remind you of something. We're not only in the middle of the pandemic. We're right now an anemic government dealing with a nation such as the Soviet Union who has the power and the military might to go into Ukraine and to begin to conquest and to move back into positioning itself into being a threat to the world. You have China poised and situated who could go after Taiwan. These days are very, very uncertain. We are a nation that is unstable within. We are a world that is unstable without in the midst of a pandemic. So you and I have to ask ourselves the question, is there a danger? And let me tell you, yes, there is. In fact, let me get you to take your Bibles from Amos, go over to Genesis, all the way back to the beginning. Because I want you to see the first danger. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, all the way back there to the beginning. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 through 5. Now the serpent, that's our spiritual enemy, that's Satan, that's the devil. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the other wild animals that God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? 
The woman said to this serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. For, listen to this, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open. You will be like God, knowing good from evil. Now let me say, our first threat and the great danger today is that our nation and our world is playing God. You may say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, you know, man, scientific, uh, science, research, in many of these areas of discipline within the scientific community, and even within our government, we are beginning to make great strides, but you have to understand this, and, and if I could do it, uh, Brian, I don't know if I can do this or not, but let me, let, me, let me do it this way. Are you able to move so people live streaming? You remember how often I've talked about this, parents? That when you're raising children, the idea of train up a child in the way they should go, parent, what that means is train up in the Hebrew is to hedge in. You're hedging in and you're, you're putting your child within boundaries. And notice, I'm not only, I can not only, these cheers represent boundaries, they're pointing me in this direction. I can't do this, and I can't do that. I've got to stay within these perimeters, and I'm pushed and prodded, moving toward, ultimately toward the cross and faith in Christ. This is also the picture of science. You have to understand that theology, spiritual dogma, biblical doctrines, moral ethics, integrity. C.S. Lewis said there's a moral compass in, in it, that God has put in His creation. In other words, we all have a moral compass that we always look at somebody and go, that's not right, that's not fair. I, I watched on the news one time where a man had stolen a vehicle and it was stolen out of his neighborhood. And in a moment, he looked and said, it's not fair. Somebody stole my vehicle. And I thought, well, but you stole it. But science is held in boundaries. In other words, sometimes science wants to do this. We begin to dabble in areas that we used to think were almost that of God, that only God could do that. But so theology, spiritual community, church, religion... Listen, it, 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 it forces science within boundaries, within perimeters. Unless society begins to take down those boundaries, those perimeters, and begins to denounce and deny its faith. And when that happens, then we create a monster. Let me give you a principle. Just because we can do something does not mean we should. Let me explain this. And I wrote this down. Science can give us power which can, if not controlled by moral boundaries, many coming from the faith community may in the end destroy us. Let me read that again. Science can give us power which can, if not controlled by moral, ethical, religious, faith boundaries, may in the end 
destroy us. Let me give you an example, stem cell research. How many of you have heard about that, stem cell? You know, stem cells are very simple. They're kind of the fundamental building block of all other organs in your body. In other words, stem cells, you could, you could take stem cells and you could structure, uh, you, could, you could turn them into nerve cells or heart cells or brain cells. or They have the potential and the ability to give us insight into cancer, cardiovascular. They're, they're, they're list, they're, in many ways, they're like the fountain of youth. They have great potential. But embryonic stem cells, where we go in and we get stem cells from embryos, from aborted tissue, when we have embryonic research, where embryos are grown in a lab in order to harvest stem cells, then the reality is we are doing what Satan said to Eve. We are playing God. You see, once a nation begins to move away from its spiritual moorings, it cuts itself loose from its... From its uh, it begins to see... Uh, uh, Molly, I was telling... We were talking about this in Sunday school. In law school, one of the big discussions is that of the Constitution. Is the Constitution a hard document or is it, an, uh, or is it a live living organism? In other words, is the Constitution something that should change and vacillate? You see, this is the way people sometimes look at the Word of God. They see the Word of God as something that, in other words, let me put it this way. There's no truth. There's no absolutes. What's true for you is not true for me. And what may be true for you may not be true. What may be true for me may not be true for you. And what's true for me right now may not be true for me 10 years from now. Because truth is vacillating and changing. And so when we look at the Bible and we talk about final authority and the truth of God's Word, all of a sudden we begin to see the Bible like we are trying to see the Constitution and other documents. We begin to see it as this vacillating, changing, where God is basically changing on some of the issues. Well, maybe God didn't mean that. You hear that now? And you may say, well, what does this have to do with point two? Because point two is the danger of playing God. And let me give you an example. The Wuhan lab in China. Have you noticed in our political arena right now that nobody's held China responsible or accountable at all? Isn't that strange? Isn't it strange that we have a pandemic right now? We have a, we have a political process in this country that is polarized and divided. Nobody seems to be asking the central question, where did COVID come from? You know, I got to looking, and I've, I've been studying for ever since it first happened. So I've been researching a long time. This is not Fox, CNN. I don't watch none of them. So don't accuse me of regurgitating some of the media's ramblings. But they call it synthetic biology. Professor of epidemiology, Mark Lipstitch, who is a professor at Harvard University. I tell you, that is a name worth remembering. Because this man, going back, I was listening to a, a debate between this man, who is a epide professor of epidemiology at Harvard, and the professor of infectious disease, Derek Smith at Cambridge. And you know what they were saying? They were arguing over the risk and the benefits of labs playing God. And I'm going to explain what that means in a moment. 
In other words, this is not anything new, what's happened in Wuhan lab. The reality is that the academic world and scientists have been warning governments around the world, you better be careful when you go in these labs. You don't have the security, you don't have the control, you haven't implemented the protections and the precautions that will be needed. You are endangering humanity. In one debate with a panel that stretched all the way across with experts, they came to this woman. She was a pivotal figure. She looked and said, you don't understand that 15 to 50% of the Earth's population could be destroyed by a super virus. I was told, I know, Teresa, you're one of George W.'s big fans. Someone made this statement, and I don't know who told me this. I, I know somebody is a close friend of his, said that his greatest fear as the President of the United States was a super virus. In officer training, when we were training, you had nuclear, biological, and chemical. Nuclear, chemical, you understood. Biological was the most frightening threat of all when you're training your military. But the debates on the risk and the benefits of what they call gain-of-function experiments with potentially pandemic pathogens and the risk that could be involved in the academic world, even, even go, going back into the 1990s during the bird flu epidemic, 2014, when I was listening to this debate between the pros and the cons of, of, of gain of function, and I'll explain that in a minute. That's where we get COVID from. And let me tell you, I've not listened to one debate that is that individual who held to the risk side of the debate that did not win the debate. Because they talk about risk, they talk about ethics, they talk about um, alternatives. But they've been warning us for some time, what is it? What is gain of function? What, is that? what does that mean? Let me read to you. Experimentation which is dangerous because it manipulates the genetic code of a virus. In other words, basically what scientists do, they start playing God. They go into the lab and they take a pathogen, which is a disease-causing virus, and eventually they, make it, uh, they, they look at a pathogenic virus and they begin to, to manipulate it genetically, begin to alter it, change it. And what the academic world says is that once you start getting gain of function, you don't, you're opening Pandora's box. You don't know what you're going to get. You're going to get Delta, Omicron, all of a sudden you've got a virus that is super-powered and now is able to attack the immune system of human beings. Let me, give you what, let me give you what the experts say. A pathogen, number one, is a disease-causing virus or microorganism. Number two, a pathogenic virus will combine, combine three things. When these three things come together, you've got a pandemic, and they've been warning for a long time. Number one, a pathogenic virus can become a pandemic when it's transmissible. In other words, it's easily transmitted. Let me tell you what they do in the labs. When they have gain of function and they begin to genetically mutate and alter a virus and make this pathogenic virus have gain of function when they begin to develop that, the reality is, the reality is, is they, they are determining, is it transmissible? They use ferrets. And ferrets will 
they'll put a ferret in, a, in, a, in an environment with other ferrets and when the ferret puts its nose against another ferret, it transmits this virus and therefore it's transmissible. They see how easily it's transmissible. Then here's the big one. They put a ferret in one cage and a ferret in another and ferrets in other cages and then they say if it's aerosol. In other words, does it have the ability to trans be transmissible without contact? Hey, listen, I don't care whether you believe me, and you may think I'm dumb, but I'll tell you what, I'm a pretty smart man. And if you don't believe me, you can look at the experts. You don't have to believe me. And if you're filled with an arrogant pious where you think you're more academically qualified, you go right ahead. And you make the mistake and not listen right now. It's transmissible. Next... Um, vulnerancy or, or the idea of the severity of, of the virus. A pathogenic virus is an extremely transmissible virus that is very, very damaging. It can do a great deal of damage. In fact, when they say it's novel, when a virus is novel, they look at the fact that a virus is novel, meaning that your immune system does not have the capability to fight this virus because it's a super virus that's been created in a lab. Because as quickly as you can vac vaccinate, which remember something, vaccinations are to keep you from getting a disease, and vaccinations are to keep you from transmitting the, 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 the disease. Let me ask you a question. Has the vaccine stopped the transmission of the disease? The answer to that is no. Has the vaccine stopped people from getting the disease? The answer to that is no. The one silver lining in the vaccine is this. They've done a study on the island of Gibraltar, about 34,000 uh, people. And those people have been vaccinated first time, second time, even booster. And the death rate is almost non-existent. So right now, the vaccine seems to be breaking down or cutting back on the death rate. And that's one study. But the idea is that if, a, if it, it, the novelty means that a virus that's created in a lab your immune system doesn't have the ability to fight it. Let me give you a case in point. HIV. Have we, have we cured HIV? No. We've, we've created ways for the, for the body to survive with HIV, but the reality is, is this is an immune deficiency. The body is being faced with a disease that it has no way of developing and fighting against it. That's the danger. It's transmissible. Valorancy, severity, and finally that it's novel. In other words, your immune system is not capable of fighting it in the way it normally would a common cold. So man has been in the lab and man has been playing God and because man has no spiritual boundaries any longer, no church, no spiritual, no theological, because Richard Dawkins, Christopher Hitchinson, and the host of other anti-theists not atheists, anti-theists, those that have been attacking the faith ultimately has put us in a crisis right now where now man is going into the lab and he's playing God. And nobody's talking about it. Except in the academic world. 
except in those areas of epidemiology and infectious disease. Why? Because the big thing is this, the danger of mutations. You can create a virus that as soon as you figure out one way to attack it, it mutates and gains the ability to, to do something else. Now, with all that said, and I'm, I'm going to stop there, and I'm, I want to, but I'm not ready to close yet, so give me a few minutes. You have an enemy. I have an enemy. And Satan is your enemy. He's my enemy. Listen, he's humanity's enemy. Now, let me ask you a question. In John t chapter 10, what did Jesus say about our enemy? He comes to what? He comes to kill. Steal. Destroy. If you go all the way back to the beginning, you know what God told Adam and Eve? He said, Adam and Eve, He said, the day you take of that tree, the day you partake, the day you disobey Me, listen to this, everybody listen, you will die, die. You will physically die, and you will spiritually die. You'll physically, over time, die. You'll spiritually die immediately. Severed from your Creator God. Next thing you have is Satan. You know what Satan says? You can't believe God. God knows that the day you eat of that tree, you'll be like God. And you know what Adam and Eve wanted to be? They wanted to be like God. You know in Isaiah 14, in Ezekiel 28, you know what it says about Satan, Lucifer the light bearer? You know what it says about him? He pride entered his heart and he wanted to be like God. You know what man has always done? Just like he did at the Tower of Babel? He raised his fist toward heaven and he says, God, I'm my own God. I'll do what I want to do. I'm not accountable to nobody. And Hollywood... And the entertainment industry, and the music industry, and the sports industry, and the political arena, they are all feeding into the lie of our enemy, Satan. How do you, how do you live? How do you make it? Brother Jeff, I don't know if I believe that. Well, let me ask you, what are the two pivotal issues right now in this country and around the world? What are the two in this country? What are they? Abortion? LGBTQ. Can I ask you something? If everybody in this room and, all, and all, every citizen of this country took a pro-abortion view and took a pro-LGBTQ view and began to live out that lifestyle, what would happen to this country over time? We would cease to exist. Can I ask you a question? Who do you think is behind humanity ceasing to exist. You see, that's your enemy. He comes to kill, steal, and destroy. If he can get man, who now is taking the Bible, and he's just, he's tossing it off to the side. He's saying, listen, there's no truth to this. This is the Big Bang Theory. Well, let me tell you something. Those radiation ripples that are streaming across this universe bear evidence to the only religion that is giving any, any proper explanation for them, and that is right here, the Word of God. In the beginning, God. And God created this creation. 
He set everything in this universe into existence. It's marble, it's mathematics, it's physics, all of it. And I grew up in a home where my dad was an engineer. My dad worked in NASA for years and years. On our, in our bathroom was a physics, a chemistry book. My dad's the most, most brilliant man I know intellectually. The reality is my dad is more a man of faith today than he's ever been. And I guarantee one thing, if my dad were sitting here at 92 years of age, he'd stand to his feet and probably start shouting, saying, preach on, son. But we're too smart today. And we think we've got it all figured out. When we don't realize we may be playing into the hand of the enemy. And you may say, well, how do you end this? What do you do? What should we do? Let me, let me, you know, I didn't have time, but let me, let me give you one thing to do. You ever noticed how Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, how prepared they were? I mean, here they were. They were, they were ripped out of their homes. They were taken into captivity. They were exiles. Nebuchadnezzar and his army, and remember the Bible is historically correct, Nebuchadnezzar and his Babylonian army took three, three times went into Israel and took exiles. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were the first group to go. Nebuchadnezzar and his army went in, took these young men, 14, 15 years of age, 14, 15 years of age, carried them into captivity, and then began to indoctrinate them into the Babylonian culture. And buddy, they don't budge. They are four young men filled with the faith. They don't budge. The king says, you're going to eat this diet, you're going to do this, you're going to do that, you're going to, you're going to conform to the Babylonian culture. And the reality is they said, oh no, we're not! And eventually that government put an idol up there and they set it out there on that plane, that 90-foot solid gold idol out there, put it out there, it may have been gold-plated, Nebuchadnezzar's image. And Nebuchadnezzar said, when the instruments sound, everyone's to bow down. Daniel, Shadrach, and Mendigo, Abednego, they were standing on their feet while everyone else, and probably the entire Jewish people as well, dropping to their knees, paying homage to an image that would have been dedicated to the government of that day. They said, oh, no, we're not. And Nebuchadnezzar said, we'll see. I'll give you one chance. And you know the story. The Bible said that he heated up the fiery furnace seven times over. In fact, he heated it up so hot that when the, when the guards came to throw Shadrach, Dan, um, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, went to throw them in the fiery furnace. If you remember, the guards were killed. That's how hot it was. And there's Nebuchadnezzar sitting on his throne, pious and arrogant. And in that moment, he jumps to his feet and said, how many men did we throw in there? And they said, three. He said, I see a fourth man and he's like the son of the gods. And the reality is in that moment, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel, these young men were prepared by somebody in their past and probably their parents and a handful of priests and prophets who were preaching the truth that their parents exposed them to. And that's why they believed Amos chapter 3, verse 6 and 7. 
parents looked at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Daniel's parents looked at him at 15, 14, 15 years of age and said, Son, there'll come a day. We don't know what's going to happen. We know the Assyrians have taken the northern kingdom of Israel. We know that the Babylonians have defeated the Assyrians. We know the Babylonians are on their way. Nebuchadnezzar's his great military leader. We know things are very dangerous, son. But Daniel, listen to me. Hold to the faith. Stay strong. And let me remind you of something. In the academic world, the Magi in the New Testament, they come from that young man and that group all the way back in that time of the Bible. He didn't give in. Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian government, didn't intimidate them. The academic world didn't intimidate them. They weren't there to be conformed and manipulated by an academic community. They were there logically to ask the hard questions regardless of how hard they are. And for every follower of Christ that is listening today, we stand at the precipice of a catastrophic humanitarian disaster if political leadership does not step in and stop this. And let me tell you what some of the epidemiologists, infectious disease professors in the academic community is saying. If you don't, then we'll have to deal with bioterrorism. And if you don't have proper measures of security, then it's just a matter of time before the enemy, some enemy gets that power, that ability, and they bring havoc into our world. COVID. Nobody will ever. Is it real? You better believe it. Is it about the vaccines? You do whatever God leads you to do. Where did it come from? I believe it was man-made, man-playing God. And I'm not the only one. You have an enemy. And God's called you right now to walk in His Word, to stay in His Word, stay in prayer. If you're a parent, you're not walking in fear. You're raising your children to change the next generation. You're raising your children to be that individual that will question, that will test the system. But you can't do that unless you know Him personally. Do you know Christ? Let's stand. Our Heavenly Father, we just come to You right now. Lord, this message is, is very different. Um, and Lord, I pray right now that men and women and those that may be listening by live stream, I, I give up on people sharing anything. They'll share silly stuff on social media. So I, I, I don't even know who may share this. But Lord, I, I believe that God, You have spoken today. And just like the prophets, You are warning us that we do not need to be apathetic and indifferent. We need to be plugged in. We need to be knowledgeable. We need to know. But Lord, first of all, we need to know You. And I pray, dear Lord, at the first Sunday of 2022, if there's a man or a woman, a boy or a girl, who says, I don't know Jesus. And they may be here, they may be listening on social media, and they may be saying, you know, I, I don't know for certain if I died where I'd spend eternity. And, and what you've said today, it scares me. May they understand that when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, 
the only fear we are to have is the fear of God. That we are walking in faith and not in fear. That Paul told Timothy, Timothy, God's not given you this spirit of fear, but a power of love and a sound mind. Some of us need to use that sound mind. Some of us need to be quit. We need to quit being spoon-fed, wherever it may be. Whether it's being spoon-fed sitting in front of a TV. Whether it's being spoon-fed sitting in a classroom. We need to logically ask those hard questions. Filled with God's Holy Spirit. Saying, God, what am I to believe? Help me to understand. Give me wisdom, as James said. So, Lord, I pray if there's one here that doesn't know you, that they'll come today, give their life to you, and begin to serve you. I pray for others that may need to recommit, rededicate. They may say, these are are frightening times, and and I've been drifting away from God, but I'm, I'm coming back today. It may be someone like Isaac who came last week who needs to settle their salvation and know they're saved. Maybe somebody that needs to plant their life here and to be involved. God, speak to us, and we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I'm here. If God is speaking to your heart right now, you need to come.